to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer, and we are starting this week with what may be the biggest news in travel. In fact, I'm recording this on Thursday. Last night, we had a hold the presses moment because this is such big news that at 9 p.m. my time, we put it up on Fromers.com. The person who put it up, Jason Cochran who is not only the editor-in-chief of Fromers.com, but he's also the author of Fromers, Walt Disney World, Universal, and Orlando. Did I get the name of that book right? <laughs> you always get it close <laughs> enough that it doesn't matter. It's, it's Disney, World, Disney World, Universal, and Orlando. And the only reason it's Disney World rather than Walt Disney World is we're like, those are too many words for the cover of a book. Yes, So we took Walt off. Yeah. (laughs) But we left Disney World on. So anyway, yeah. So you called me at at 9 p.m. last night and said, we have to put up this article right away. Huge changes to Disney. What happened? Now, this is interesting even for people who aren't planning to go to Disney, which I guess is a lot of us, but it is still in in Florida, the top tourist destination uh, pretty much in the world. Like 50 million people a year normally go to the Magic Kingdom, which is the main theme park there. And for many, many years, since 1999, they've had something called Fast Pass, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard, even if they don't know what it is. Fast Pass has become a famous word. And it would get you, they'd have two lines at Disney. One's the regular old line that everyone can show up and wait in that's long. And one's nice and short. And to get the nice and short line, you would make a timed reservation ahead of time. Early on, it was with a slip of paper. Later on, you did it with your phone. That got you in the short line. So you'd say at one o'clock, you can go and you'll wait like four minutes rather than the two hours that you have to wait. Fast pass. Well, they took away fast pass when they came back after the pandemic because they wanted to use that space for social distancing. But so during that this space, you mean the space where the fast right. pass lines? Were. Well, that extra line was all used so they could spread people out. So there was no right. fast pass because they needed the space for just the line. Sure. Well, Disney has decided to use this pandemic to completely change the way it does business behind the scenes. One of the big reasons they haven't confirmed, but I suspect, is. With fewer people going in because they don't want to pack it quite to the degree that they you know, used to pack it for safety's sake. They need yeah. to make sure each person who is allowed in spend, spends more than they have been spending. So they've really been aiming all of their guns at figuring out how to get more money out of everyone who visits rather than spend more money on just making it more fun. And the big bomb dropped <clears throat> yesterday that FastPass is officially killed. It is no more. They're going to be converting the lanes that you used to use for the fast pass line to paid lanes. So that will mean there's a whole complicated system that I can get into, but it basically means if you want to take the short line at Walt Disney World or Disneyland, you're going to have to pay. You're going to have to either pay for a flat fee that gets you the lesser rides as they come up, or you're going to have to pay out of pocket each time. We don't know how much Disney's going to charge each time you want to ride the ride. They haven't announced that part yet because they knew <laughs> they knew that people wouldn't like this. They didn't give us everything right. bad all at the same time. But uh, if we're going to use Paris, it's theme park in Paris at, as any guide. About a month ago, it started a similar system and they charge as much as about $17 American, 15 euro, to ride even the kid rides, like the Peter Pan ride, oh. and that's per person. So a family of four, if, they, if they're running low on time or they don't want to wait in the normal line that most people wait in, they'll pay as much as $70 for the family to ride one ride one time. So that so is what is So just to clarify, that's on top 
of your entrance oh, yeah. fee. That's on top of your entrance, your food, your parking. It is a it is a surcharge, an upcharge once you've gotten to the park. And it's for something that we used to get for free because Fast Pass, you were allowed three a day. You could pick three different right. rides at three different times, shuffle them around, and once you used them up, you could get more. No yeah. more. Yeah. Now it's you have to pay. And what's so dastardly about this is it looks like they're going to be using dynamic pricing to set the rates at these most popular rides. So you won't even be able to budget for your family in advance. Say you know you really want to go with your two teenagers and your wife to uh, the new uh, and very special roller coaster at Star Wars World. You won't know how much extra that will cost you until you pay for it, right? Am I overstating that? that? Yes. You are stating it correctly, but it's worse than that. You might remember that the, the, it's not quite a roller coaster, but that's just a theme park nerd talking. But there is a big – there are two amazing new rides at the Star Wars land. They're fantastic. It's true. But I, I don't know if any listeners remember when I came back from my trip in the spring, I was talking about how you can't always get on the big ride anymore because it breaks down so often and the, and the capacity is lower than what they thought that they were doing lotteries in the morning. You get a ticket place, a place in line if you were lucky. And and I didn't get, get a place in line when I was there in May. And I saw many other people quite upset that they'd flown all that way and didn't get a place in the line. But that's that problem exists. And what's going to happen is that ride called Rise of the Resistance is going to get one of these new, they call them lightning lanes, these new paid queue areas that are shorter. So it's going to get one of these lightning lanes, which means that Disney is now in the position where if its rides begin to break down and they don't get as many people on them anymore, that's an incentive now for customers to say, well, I'll just buy a ticket in the fast lane to make sure I get on. So Disney has figured out a way to monetize its breakdowns. You know, if its rides fail, it's going to potentially make more money. Now, I never, you know, obviously the system is not in place yet, but I'm, as a consumer, I'm standing back and going, okay, wait a minute. How are we going to make sure that this company is not manipulating either the posted wait times or breakdowns or anything like that to make sure that they just make some more money? I, that, to me, right. is, I don't understand how that's going to be policed. Uh, yeah, it, and a, a lot of these lines, even if they're not breaking down, I think I was reading one article. They were saying that the line to go on Peter Pan's ride or right. flight or whatever it is. It is two hours long, and that's a that's a line for a a, a really a that's a young kids ride. I can't oh, yeah, imagine that's standing with a six year old next to me for two hours. Uh, <laughs> well, that's all. That's good. That's been the problem at Disney with all amusement parks for years, though. Which is what this fast pass thing was sort of designed to help alleviate. In the right. 90s, they're like, well, if we give people the quick line three times a day and then they wait in the two-hour line the rest of the time, they'll be happier. But then that fast pass became so oversubscribed that it's now been putting problem on top of – fixing problem over fixing problem. And now it's a big pile of really messy solutions trying to solve the same problem that still isn't solved. Now, Disney is obviously trying to spin this as an improvement. And so with the lightning lanes – they are also debuting something called Genie. What is yeah. Genie? Genie is a feature within the app that everyone pretty much uses now when they go to Disney World or Disneyland to order food and check wait times. In that app, it'll be a feature that will plan your day for you. It'll it'll string together an itinerary, a touring plan, if you will, although they 
did not use that phrase, to to see the park. And it doesn't mean that everything they suggest to you is going to be free. You know, they could try to be steering you constantly to spend a little more for the makeover with a princess, spend a little more at this right. restaurant. But that's what Jeannie will do for free. What they're trying to get people to do is pay an extra 15 to $20 for what it calls a Genie Plus. Genie Plus will get you two entries to Lightning Lane on two lower tier rides. No, so actually it'll get you Lightning Lane, I think over the course of the day, and we're still developing the figuring out what the system's going to do. It'll get you into Lightning Lane on some of the lower tier rides only one at a time. So if you're there at 10 in the morning and it says the next one is two at two o'clock in the afternoon, you'll have to wait until two o'clock and then you get another one. So you're not going to be bang, 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 short ride, short ride, short ride. You make it three or four in the day if you're lucky using Genie Plus. So that's right. one way for them to upcharge, you know. And then beyond Genie Plus, there's going to be a whole set of rides that have Lightning Lane that aren't on Genie Plus. It's already confusing. And you walk up to, say, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, which is immensely popular and will have a three-hour line on many days. And you can pay to instantly ride. You put all, you know, whatever it's going to be, $80 for your whole family. But that's a guess. Oh. And now yeah. that those aren't included on Genie Plus. So you'll have bought Genie Plus and you'll be buying per ride. So you're just adding and adding and adding extra charges just to not wait in the normal lines. And I would say it's a good idea, but I don't know how long the waits are going to be in the normal lines now because everything has been reshuffled and there's fewer people in the parks and all the dynamics are going to change when this goes into place. So I can't tell you the lines are going to be two hours or a half an hour in the major lines still, but I guarantee they won't be short. Well, you know, when you have a kid pulling at your sleeve saying, I want to do this, I want to do that, do we have to wait here? I can see people's vacation budgets just ballooning with this new system. You know, the thing about Disney lovers, Disney fans, they plan their trips to Disney World like military campaigns. They, uh, you know, a lot, this much amount of money, this much amount of time. And they really work it out, often down to the minute. This is going to explode their ability to plan, I think. Yeah. And I think that people don't enjoy planning. That's why our guidebook is such a popular guidebook, because we boil things down so easily. So you don't get stuck in all these crazy details. You just go, you know, the easiest course. I don't think people, I think people like being spontaneous. You know, they're sure. like, oh, let's Especially buy that over there. amusement park. Yeah. Yeah. Are you hungry? Let's go eat something. The way it is now, you've got to plan your meal time ahead of time. You've got to, you know, plan your tickets ahead of time. And, and they call that a solution. I think, you know, basically they figured out a way to make a profit center out of a failing, which is Disney has gotten so confusing to plan. Here, we'll plan it for you, but give us some extra dollars for that. Uh, yeah. So, they, they, you know, they tried to monetize a, a, a failing. It's going to be um, a very interesting time as this rolls out. I'm hearing more and more people say, I just don't think I want to do all this. Even yeah. if you if you can wrap your head around the system, it isn't fun. In my maybe, you know, uh, Gen X opinion, it's not fun to bend over a smartphone all day long when you're at a theme park. Uh, you, well, you know, you it's much more fun that- to point at something and go to it. Do you think that this will lose them customers? Do you think there will be such a pushback that they might have to roll this back? Uh, time will tell, but I don't think it bodes well that so many people are angry, including people who absolutely have adored Disney in the past. I think there is always going to be pushback when you give somebody something for free, take it away, and then say, now you have to pay for it. The airlines saw that, didn't they? You know, now we all complain about the airlines because they treat us so terribly and Nicholas, Nicholas and Timeless, and we're not 
you know, when the airlines were in trouble in 2020, most people said, good, they deserve it. Maybe they'll straighten their act. I think that's the way Disney's going in the direction of an authoritarian company that people maybe don't have as much goodwill for, but have to use because it offers them something that no one else does. Yeah. I was going to say that. I mean, the, the, the example of the airlines, they're a monopoly. So no matter how much we complain, they can pretty much do what they damn please in terms right. of and you know and Disney's still and hitting Disney. capacity on some days. People are still filling up some days, even now. Because yeah. now they have a reservation system so they, they cap how many how many people are allowed in so we can see when a day is gonna fill up ahead of time. And it still happens. But as prices go up, I'm not I'm not confident because then, you know, that's when people start putting more and more on their credit cards and it starts becoming a more personal family problem for people to right. keep going back. Do you think that I mean, I said it's a monopoly, but you do have Orlando, you do have Universal, you know, that there's always this head to head battle between Disney and Universal, which will come up on top. Will this help Universal? I think unquestionably. And, and Universal, which is owned by Comcast, knows this which is why they're now building a third major theme park in Orlando that's going to connect with the previous two. Disney has four theme parks. In a few years, Universal is going to have three, and it doesn't have the reputation of nickel and diming and difficulty and overplanning and all that complication that Disney is now encrusting itself with. So Universal is going to be a great valve. And also a lot of families, especially kids, if they're like 9, 10, don't want to do the princess thing anymore. They want to go over to Universal where the rides are more exciting. So sure. it, it will put pressure. Maybe there'll be a day when Universal and joins Disney in this kind of uh, process, you know, turning people off. Uh, but we're not there yet. It's giving Universal a major opening. And I predict that in, within three or four or five years, we're going to be speaking about Universal and Disney in almost the same way. Because Universal will have risen to be uh, taking up some of this area, that the ground that Disney is seeding. It will risen to become a, a much more influential, I think, uh, player in the theme parking. It's already in the top 10 of theme parks. Uh, it just it hasn't written to, risen to Disney levels. All you need for that is time. You know, the, the, the people who are taking their kids to Disney today are the ones who went 20 years ago, 30 years ago with their own parents. So there's a, there's a lag time till you find out exactly how devoted your crowd is. But if they're, if, you know, if the kids coming up now are detecting a lot of stress when they go to Disney, I don't think they're going to be real excited about bringing their own kids back. So this is a long game and it's a long risk. I think that Disney is taking. Yeah. Let's go. And I'm, I know there'll be more articles on this. I, I have no doubt as things become clearer, exactly how this is going to play out. So visit us. Yeah, at and and we're wrapping the book. So the book will be out soon and uh, it'll, it'll give you some more guidance on how you should prioritize how, ways to avoid overspending, how to simplify because uh, planning at Disney is, is now uh, sort of like a part-time job <laughs> when you're planning to go. And who wants that? We, we want to make it as simple as possible. Yeah. Well, next, the next segment is going to be about a potentially simpler type of vacation. We're talking Good. New England fall foliage. Ah, <laughs> kind of the opposite of a Disney trip because it's about being out in nature and just slowing down and looking at the beautiful sights. So don't don't turn off this podcast. Our next guest is coming. It looks like summer is starting to wind down now. And so that means it's time to speak with one of our favorite guests. We always have him on in August, appropriately enough, because 
He is the editor of Yankee Magazine. His name is Mel Allen. Hey, Mel, welcome back to the Frommer Travel Show. Yeah, Pauline, as you know, it's always something I look forward to. Oh, well, we definitely look forward to it because, uh, you know, I, I, I just associate you with fall foliage because Yankee Magazine is the foremost magazine for New England. And it's kind of like New England's carnival, I think you said one year it's when New the England's, leaves turn. It's New England's Mardi Gras. You know, we've been We've been writing about foliage since 1935. <laughs> it's 87 years every year. Some editor who's ever been the editor has had to decide what are we doing about foliage this year. And the one thing that never changes is that there is no better color in the world. There's only one other place that rivals us, and it's Hokkaido province in, in Japan. Mm. And that is it. We are, we, this is our, our carnival, and it's why people come here every year. Yeah, and and it never disappoints. Before we get to foliage, we will in a moment. It's a strange time to be traveling right now, obviously. I'm vaccinated. I'm assuming you are. So I feel fairly safe on the road. But how safe is New England going into foliage? That's such an important question, Pauline. Um, Look, fall foliage is an outside experience. New England... Since the beginning of when the vaccines became available, New England has been the most vaccinated region in the country by far. If you look at the top, you know, the top five, six is all New England states. Um, Of course, we are not immune from Delta worries. Of course not. But our local schools are open. Students are wearing masks. There has been so much less acrimony here than we've seen and read about elsewhere. Mm. But if we were planning a trip anywhere this fall, New England states, I would say, would be the, the most the safest, the place you can feel the most comfortable, and especially because this is an outside experience. You're not coming yeah. to New England in fall to go to the theaters, especially, or the museums, or to eat inside. You're coming here to walk, kayak, drive, picnic, farm markets, camp, all this stuff, and we, this is what we have here. You say it's the most vaccinated place in the United States. Ab- Do you have ab- any any stats at your fingertips? Well, I, I just, I'll just give you one example. If one of my top five favorite places to go in the world is the Blue Hill Peninsula of Maine. It's where E.B. White lived, um, Brooklyn, uh, Maine. Um, it's, it's near Acadia National Park, and it's one of the most gorgeous places I know on earth. And I just read a story um, in the Bangor Daily News that says 99% of all wow. eligible adults in the Blue Hill Peninsula are vaccinated. I mean, that's that's what that's makes stunning. people think. That's yes. amazing. That's yeah. amazing. All right. So vaccinations are, are, are good and they're in place. It's been a compliant area of the country. Thank goodness. But it's been such a weird year weather-wise. So we we know we'll be safe if we go to New England, but will the leaves be putting on as spectacular a show as they have in years past? Or has this weird weather, is it going to affect them? Everything affects, I mean, of course, weather and climate, of of course, affects the leaves. But we, this is a question that could have been asked probably any day, any time during the last decades, and the color always arrives. What we're talking about is the intensity of the color. So it's the, the color that we're going to see this fall really is a result of weather that goes all the way back to last winter. I mean, that's how, right. that's it. and we had heavy snow in December, Pauline, and then hardly any after that. So huh. it was a dry spring. And so foresters that we talked to, the language they use is this went, it was became drought. And then we had 
the Ju- July of all Julys, and we had so much rain. It was the, one of the huh. five rainiest Julys in recorded New England history. Wow. So, the, so we went from drought to overwatered. So both of those are stress. Having said that, we have we have a meteorologist who just works for us on foliage. His name is Jim Salji. He used to be a meteorologist at uh, Mount Washington Observatory. He's a photographer. He knows foliage as well as anybody that I know in New England. And um, his forecast basically is saying that we should, this fall should be consistent with other falls. It should last a little bit longer. But if you really want to have like a plan, come to the higher elevations, come to the northern northern New England in late September and just fall in, or, and it's going to probably end in, in the end of October in the southern parts. And that's been okay. consistent and in terms so of the is that earlier or later than usual well, that's a little earlier it, yeah it says it, it should arrive a little bit earlier and and okay. we're talking about degrees we're talking about a matter of maybe days sure and and don't forget we still have here's the unknown will will early will the early september uh, you know cooperate will it be warm sunny days followed by cool nights will there be because of the climate change patterns that we have seen will there be storms that we haven't anticipated. We don't know that, but what we right. do know is that <laughs> the experience of coming to New England in fall will still be unmatched. Well, okay, else. but I can wrap my head around it. Yeah. So it's going to be potentially an earlier season by a couple of days. And are you saying to get the intensity of the colors, you're going to have to go into the higher elevations, that it's no. going to be a little bit less exciting lower down? The higher elevations did not have the um, the extremes extreme rain that we had in July. Uh, so if we were if we were like zeroing in, I would say if people want to plan a trip here and they want to just and it has to be in September, come late September and go to northern Maine, northern Vermont, northern New Hampshire, especially. And it's also the, the least crowded places. But if they if they want to come, you know, the normal peak time. Is that Columbus Day weekend? That's what we always. It's it's never been far off. A and couple people days won't be way. disappointed if they come Columbus Day. They still no. will see great colors. They, they they should see great colors, and and they will see the the, mo- the most people. And I always but tell the most people consistent yeah. great colors will be higher up. That that is generally um that is generally what what we're saying. However. Okay. But, yes. but the amenities, you, you may want to come for different reasons, you know, Pauline, and, and your listeners may want to come for different reasons. You know, the northern Vermont villages, they tend to be smaller. So you're going to be staying in either Airbnbs or small B&Bs, that sort of thing. It, whereas you come into the, we call it the middle, the middle part of New England, Middlebury, Middlebury, Kent, Connecticut, uh, sure. Bethel, Maine, the Conways. They have more, well, basically more amenities, more restaurants, sure. more that uh-huh. kind of thing. Well, and, and you guys cover that so well. I love the fact that in the most recent issue, is you, you tell people how they can really experience not just fall foliage, but all of the things, but the things you should be doing to see the leaves from different angles and to get away from the leaves and do something else. You have a, a really great article. It's called 31 Ways to Fall for autumn. I see what you did there. And there are so many great ideas in this. One of them, you know, I always think of Oktoberfest as happening in September, which it does in Germany, and therefore not being concurrent with fall foliage. But in some places in New England, 
both hit at the same time, right? Yes. And, you know, first of all, I want to say that I'm really happy that you have picked up on the thing that we've been saying almost forever is fall foliage time is does not just mean you drive around and take photographs of leaves. I mean, that's the backdrop. That's sure. the reason that you come. But when you're here, what we, what we always say is take advantage of the beautiful days. Take advantage of the, this is the, this is the farm market time. This is the time when the craft fairs are going on. This is the time when the, 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 the fowl are, the waterfowl and the, and the, and the raptors are migrating. All this stuff makes for that fall foliage experience. And, you know, Mount Snow has this Oktoberfest on, on Columbus Day weekend. And it's, you know, they have the bands and they have the food and, you know, Vermont's really well known for their craft beers. So all these things are going on at the same at the same time. The moose are on the the moose are, are are on the move. And if you go up north, you best chance you can see the moose. You know, all this stuff is happening. East migration, five hundred at a time, flying yeah. overhead. Sounds spectacular. Yeah, it is spectacular. The snow geese um, outside of Middlebury, Vermont, is really is really beautiful. It's the best cycling time. And what people have to understand too is we love New England in summer, but, you know, we do have black flies. We do have, uh, like, little insects that can they can bother you. Let's face sure. it, but in fall, they're gone. So I personally like hiking in fall the most. I like biking in fall the most, all that stuff. Yeah. Well, you also talk about different ways to see the leaves, like zip lining through them. I never think of New England and zip lining, yeah, but I guess what, that's a thing there. Well, it, um, the zip line in Bretton Woods, which is in that uh, New Hampshire White Mountains area, and it's right near Mount Washington, Omni Mount Washington Hotel. It's it's one of the longest um, in, in, in the east. And you huh. can go, it's like a three hour, it's like a three hour um, experience. And it's one wow. that people that just love because, you know, you're safe and yet you are having an adventure at the same time. Yeah, that's fun. And also balloon rides. Uh, another yeah. thing I, I didn't associate with New England, but I guess it makes sense. Where are the best places for ballooning? Well, I don't know if, you, I don't know if you've ever been on a hot air balloon, but I, I have. And the thing that's spectacular about balloon rides is you're really not that high. You're maybe a thousand feet or so. So you can see, like I've seen deer running through the woods. I've, I've, that was my most memorable actually. And the, and the, the experience when you're floating over these villages, you have like this birds, it really is a bird's eye, bird's eye view. And Berkshire balloons, um, in Connecticut is, is one that, um, that we feature in the magazine this time, but there's also, um, in the Pioneer Valley, there's there's ballooning and there's ballooning um, in almost in, in Vermont. But I would say it's a special experience. It's, it may not be for everyone. Like I have a son who doesn't like heights. He would not go sure. on, on the balloon. But if you want to have something that you will remember forever, that's one of the experiences I would recommend. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I actually have never been in a hot air balloon, but I've, I'd like to try it sometime. Also, scenic railways. Are they running this year? I guess yeah, is the I mean, question because I mean, that's an indoor experience. Well, I, I, what I always tell people now, especially, always go to the websites and 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 check for it up to date. But right now, everything everything that is in this story, we have fact checked um, up to the minute, and everything is open. I mean, there's always there's always things that can change the last minute, like a festival can suddenly cancel. But as of as of now, with the fall not that far ahead, all these things are um, are on are on are going to happen. Right. You also talk about antiquing in Maine. Why is Maine such a hot spot for people who like to go antiquing? I mean, there's antiquing in in, in Connecticut has famous antiques, and of course, New Hampshire has an antique alley. 
but probably what makes Maine kind of special is simply the um, what's all around it. So like Wiscasset, Maine is always considered one of the most beautiful small towns in New England. And it's right there on, you know, by the sea and you have the lobster, you have all the things that go with it. You have sure. the, the Reds Eats and so on. But um, just in, just in, just in Wiscasset, there's over 40 antique shops. So what I like about places like this is you come and you can actually plan your morning or your afternoon around it. And you just go in and out of these places, sort of like uh, looking for those little treasures, you know, like, like walking on the beach and picking up um, something that you didn't know you would find. I mean, you always will come back. If you like antiques, you yeah. will come back from one of these antique alley places with something that you're going to put into your house or your garden for sure. Oh, that's great. All right. And uh, years ago, I started watching the show Girls on <laughs> HBO, and I yeah. fell in love with that TV show. And I told my teenage daughter about it, and she accidentally watched Gilmore Girls, <laughs> which is not a show I've ever watched. And then she, we started trying to talk about the TV shows we loved, and, and we confused the heck out of one another because she was talking about Gilmore Girls, and I was talking about girls. But I know there, there were go. a lot of fans for go. Gilmore Girls, and Star-style. that is a New England show, right? Well, it, it, it's it's. It's supposed to be Stars Hollow and Stars Hollow people. Um, the, the backstory is that the creators of it stayed in this beautiful hotel called the Mayflower Inn in Washington, which is in the Litchfield Hills. And they took that feel, that feeling of that village and they, and they created their Stars Hollow. So, um, I do know that there have been these, uh, stars, um, these Gilmore girls, like, uh, special weekends where people can stroll and kind of recreate their, their, uh, Gilmore huh. girls fixation. And I have to admit, I'm, I actually have watched Gilmore Girls with my wife, and it actually is quite engaging for men and women alike. It's good storytelling. Yeah, good no, story I, I, I've heard good things about it. And Litchfield, Connecticut, obviously, is a beautiful place where it was uh, filmed. One final thing, and I don't know, this doesn't, you know, I wanted to say, and talking about girls, because yeah. I always think of Salem, I always think of oh boy. Uh, yeah, that yeah. famous play by uh, um, the author of Death of a Salesman, Arthur Miller. Arthur Miller. Uh, Arthur Miller. uh, I always think of the crucible and I think of of witches and young girls and Salem. And and Salem to me doesn't seem like a foliage destination because it it really gets so hot around Halloween when the, the leaves are starting to fall off the trees. But I guess you can go earlier. Why did you recommend Salem well, as a foliage destination? Pauline, Salem is, is what we call a trip. I mean, <laughs> as in quotes, okay? I mean, yeah. as the photograph in here shows, Salem has embraced its image as a, let's say, witchery kind of tradition because of the Salem witch, uh, witchcraft trials. Sure. But they have this historic, beautiful, historic cobblestone streets and beautiful settings on the water and everybody gets in to the halloween mood for the entire month of october the streets are are filled with people who are in costume not just on halloween and the, the peabody essex museum is this incredible museum and it's in here because if we are saying here's 31 ways to enjoy it to fall for autumn if you're going to be in new england and you're going to be say in the boston area and you're going to this north shore Salem is one of those trips that you will come back and say, I had no idea that there was all this there. You know, they do these, these they do these moonlight walking tours. Right. They do, um, and you go to the House of the Seven Gables where Hawthorne, um, you know, wrote and so on. And it's just, 
That's why it's it's something to do in October. You can't just take uh, selfies with leaves forever. (laughs) Right. And you know, that's what that's. And it's also the fact that you can don't have to drive there. You can just if you're in Boston, you you get a high speed ferry that goes to Salem in an hour and you just walk around. You take the the ferry back. That's that's why Salem is in here. Oh, that's great. Okay, before I let you go, two more things I, I realized looking at my notes. Cranberries. Yeah. There are cranberry bogs in New England. And to imagine the look of those bright red bogs with the fall foliage all around, that must be absolutely surreal. Yeah, How I mean, can people tour them? Well, you, you book a tour with the Cape Cod Cranberries Association and you just go on, you just go online. Um, to, and they'll they'll have a list of the bog of the bog farmers who welcome visitors, so, huh. and and many of them do because just like with um, dairy farmers in New England now, dairy a number of farmers, Pauline, are w- opening up their farms to like almost like eco tourism, you know, where sure. you get you stay there and you you watch the cows being milked, and sometimes you get to help with the milking. So the same with the cranberry farmers; they realize that they have something unique. There's only um, uh, New England. Cape Cod and South Shore area of Boston and is Wisconsin. That's where most of the cranberries in the whole country come from. And, and that, and it's, it's gorgeous. And um, it's one of those experiences. People like sometimes to do something that's different. Yeah, and what, absolutely. This, what this package is, is here's 31 different things that we think are different for you to think about this fall. Right. Okay. Talking about this fall. If people want to track the foliage, I know that you guys are the best ones for that. What is the web web address that people should go to so that they can better it's re- plan? It's really simple. It's New England One Word dot com, and you do and you slash <laughs> and you slash foliage. New England dot com slash foliage, and it's all going to be there. There's going to be maps. There's going to be updated forecasts. There's going to be uh, people who call in um, right into us with um, where they're up to date, like photographs. And um, there's going to be all kinds of stories that we run on foliage. You know, it's sort of like a one-stop shopping thing for, for where to go. And that's it. NewEngland.com slash foliage. Great. Thank you so much, Mel. It's always a delight speaking with you. Pauline, ditto for me. And that's it for this week's show. I thank you so much for listening. To those who are about to hit the road, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. I'll see you next week. Okay.